Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a National Parks podcast. In 2015, we quit our jobs to visit all of the U.S. National Parks in one year. And ever since, we have been obsessed with all things National Park Service. This is week nine of a 62-week tour of virtually revisiting a new national park each week through a podcast episode and in-depth guide on switchbackkids.com. We hope, we hope you learn something new and get inspired because the national parks are for everyone. Today, we're heading to 1915 and to a park whose mountains are young in geologic terms to Rocky Mountain National Park. Cole. Elizabeth. Did you know that Sprague Lake in Rocky Mountain National Park was named after this guy, Abner Sprague, who was a huge park advocate, one of, and he was the very first visitor to pay the entrance fee, the park entrance fee, uh, when it became a national park. And guess how much the fee was? Uh, $5. $3. Back in the, back in the good old days. Yeah. Wow. Probably felt like a lot back then. It's really only about 10 times that now, which is, doesn't seem too bad. Yeah. And I guess that was like, what, in the end of the great depression or something, uh, so probably a lot for a lot of people, but, uh, yeah, that's really cool. So overview, let's start with that and, uh, continue our fun fact escapade. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're talking about Rocky Mountain National Park today and Rocky Mountain National Park is most known for just these stunning mountain environments, subalpine, alpine there's meadows, there's there's the high 14ers, there's the tundra. Tundra. Yeah. There's all sorts of diversity in wildlife and just ecosystem. Yeah, and then it's also got of course the Trail Ridge Road which is at over 12,000 feet, the highest highway in the US. Uh, There are over 300 miles of hiking trails. It's got the Continental Divide that runs through it. Yeah, and because all of these things, it's super popular. It had 4.6, over 4.6 million visitors in 2019, which made it the third most visited national park in the system. And it's been climbing those rankings as well because, um, yeah, it just keeps getting more and more people. Part of that's because... Denver is booming uh, so much, but yeah, that gives makes some challenges too, which we'll get into. But first, a brief history. Uh, starting off, it was historically home to the Ute and Arapaho people who traveled what is now Trail Ridge Road. It, it was a you know Native American trail long before a road to hunt and forage. And then in 1820. The Long Expedition, led by Stephen Long, reached the area and settlement began in the mid-1800s. Yeah, so then a few individuals kind of started advocating for this to be a national park, including um, Enos Enos Mills from uh, Estes Park, and also James Grafton Rogers from Denver, and J. Horace McFarland from Pennsylvania. I don't know how he got into the mix. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, enough advocacy happened. Um, It was a clear, it it didn't seem to have much pushback to become a national park. 
Um, and Woodrow Wilson signed Rocky Mountain National Park into establishment in 1915. Yeah, it's one of those that can really smack you in the face with its beauty. Uh, you can't miss those mountains, so I am not surprised that people... Probably was not a tough argument. Yeah, we're lining up to get behind it. Um, so the CCC, after it became a park, built Trail Ridge Road in the 1930s. And then, you know, going down through the history, there was a recommendation to officially designate much of the park as wilderness under the new Wilderness Act of 1964. And this eventually happened, um, you know, when Congress uh, dictated it after President Nixon uh, recommended it in 1974. And Almost all of the park now, outside the roads and the campgrounds and the visitor center, is wilderness officially. So that's which is a huge area because if you look at the map, the road goes through a pretty you know it slices through the park, uh, but the bulk of the park is really wilderness and something you have to access on foot. Yep. So kind of similar to Glacier, and then there's one through road. And it allows you access to so many uh, of the trailheads uh, that link to this larger network that obviously go through the whole bulk of the park. So, um, yeah, the, and the last part, by the way, of the history is in 1976, UNESCO designated the park as a World Biosphere Reserve. Yeah, because of all that, that biodiversity and wilderness that we just talked about. So to see some of this amazing wildlife and mountain environments, uh, we're going to talk now about how to visit the park. So first, when should you go? What are some seasonal considerations? Um, So it's a mountain park, so keep that in mind. It has a, a pretty short, relative to other parks, visiting season. Trail Ridge Road usually opens around Memorial Day in May and usually almost always closes by October, mm-hmm. I believe. Around there, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it varies. So you, you really have to look at the current conditions because they don't have a specific date. If it's snowing on the date they're planning to open, they're probably not going to open it. Um, so that's something to consider. Like most mountain parks, you know, if you're going to visit in the shoulder season, you probably want to err on the side of fall. <laughs> Because this this park especially has really good fall colors with the aspen and um, way more accessibility to hiking at on that end of the season. Yeah, and uh, even then there are still a ton of people. You know, the visitation. I'm looking at the numbers per month right now. They peak at like nine hundred thousand plus in July, and then to give you a sense of scale, in September you're still at almost eight hundred thousand. But I imagine that tapers significantly at the end of September because by October there's only three hundred thousand or so. So the later in sec- September you can go, um, maybe take advantage of those fall colors is going to be better you know, as far as less crowds. Yeah, and there's also definitely opportunities to visit in the winter. There's snowshoeing and skiing and all sorts of things that you can do if you are interested in something like that. You may just not be able to access Trail Ridge Road. Well, you definitely won't be able to access Trail Ridge Road. So now getting around and how to get there and the park layout, etc., 
The national park is located in north central Colorado. It is about a 1.5 hour drive from Denver, so very close uh, to you know the Denver airport relative to uh, other national parks, so f- fairly easy to get to. Uh, there are two main gateway cities. Those include Estes Park to the east and Grand Lake to the west. Yeah, and then getting around, you probably want to have a rental car or your own car uh, because there is no public transportation to the park. Um, However, Estes Park does run some shuttles from Estes Park into the park, and then there is a summer and fall running free park shuttle, which helps you navigate around the Bear Lake Road area, which is probably the heart of the park as far as popularity. So that's that can be really helpful. Yeah, and then talking more about the park layout, um, as Elizabeth mentioned, there is Bear Lake, which is one of the biggest, most popular areas. The other districts include, you know, also on the east side, there is the like Beaver Meadows area. Um, there's the Alpine and Trail Ridge Road area that cuts through the center of the park, and then you get on the west side, and there's the uh, Kawunichi Valley uh, and the visitor center there, all of that. Um, but looking at the map, you'll see you know one entrance on the west and on the east, like we've talked about, uh, and the road cutting all the way through a few there's more development on the east including Bear Lake and all the off-roads there but then there are also a few uh, access points that uh, roads that just go basically just inside the park have a parking lot and you can you um, uh, hike in from there there's there's one on the west like that at um, the west portal and then there's Wild Basin and Long's Peak uh, access points as well. So a few yeah. options if you don't want to get into the fray. Yeah, because it is easy to get swept into the fray, I think. But it's also easy to avoid it. There are a lot of opportunities for kind of getting away from those crowds. Especially if you're visiting in the busy season. Um, nearby, if you're if this is part of a bigger trip for you... Um, There aren't a lot of other NPS sites nearby. However, Dinosaur National Monument is on the Colorado-Utah border to the west. And then to the south is Florissant Fossil Beds National Monument. So there are some other NPS sites and plenty others throughout Colorado. Um, However, the park is surrounded by national forest areas, which are gorgeous, which with lots of good hiking Um, including the Arapahoe and Roosevelt National Forests. We've enjoyed long mountain hikes in both of those day hikes, and I will agree that they rival anything you'll find in Rocky Mountain National Park for just sheer mountainous beauty. Um, So so don't forget. (laughs) Definitely some good stuff nearby, which... We experienced to be equally crowded, <laughs> not equally, but quite crowded too. So do some planning ahead. Right now, if you're staying overnight, we'll go in where to. We'll go into the section on where to sleep. There are no park lodges or accommodations inside the park, which is kind of rare. Um, but there's a plenty right outside the park, um, including in those two gateway cities we just talked about. But there are campgrounds. So Rocky Mountain has five campgrounds 
inside the park. Three are reservable, two are first come first serve, and they're generally open from June to October except for Moraine Campground, which is the big one. Right. That's open year-round, yeah. And uh, they're all about $30 per night, uh, So, but they definitely fill up. So if you are going, especially in the summer, you have to book you know, as early as possible. So check the website for when and where you can do that. Um, of course, there's backcountry camping that requires a permit from the visitor center, and just plan ahead for that. Uh, and as we mentioned, there's outside campgrounds and hotels, yeah, two I'll mention on the Estes Lake side are Mary's Lake Campground, where we stayed at. It's a big campground you know, within minutes of Estes Park. Um, we stayed there when we visited, which we'll get into in, in May, because all the places were booked over Labor Day. Um, Memorial Day, yeah. M- Memorial Day, thanks. And then also in Estes, the historic Stanley Hotel that uh, The Shining mm-hmm. was based off of. So that was cool just to go check out, you know, on, on a, if you need a break from the park. <laughs> um, yeah, so also an, a staying option, though. Yeah, so getting in, like he said, getting into our trip, our experiences, we visited the park first. Maybe, have you, had you been there before? I hadn't, no. So we, we first visited in May of 2016, like he said, Memorial Day weekend. It was the first weekend of the Trail Ridge Road opening. We also just went back in September of this year, 2020, over Labor Day weekend, which was another busy weekend. Um, so we kind of saw both ends of the summer season. Um, in May, when we first visited, so much of the park was inaccessible due to snow. Most of the hiking was inaccessible. Uh, but we were able to hike a little bit around Bear Lake, We got there super early in the morning. We did the Emerald Lake hike. And then the next day we were able to drive the whole Trail Ridge Road. And there we also actually went all the way to uh, through Grand Lake to the West Portal area and went into Abrams Falls, which is just a lesser traveled spot. Um, Definitely just kind of a nice, pleasant um, hike. Yeah, and saw some good moose on the drive back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the third main thing we did was hiking in the Wild Basin area, which was a great option for, it was a little bit lower elevation, um, to Owsel sure. Falls and Calypso Cascades. Um, so that was a really good hike. And the Wild Basin area has lots of good waterfalls, and it's a lot quieter than the main area. And in our trip through just now, we spent a day in September 2020, and we did mostly um, shorter things there, a few uh, hikes on the just off Trail Ridge Road, went up that again. One of the coolest things we did was go up Old um, Old Fall River Road, which we'll get into a little later, though. So still feel like there's plenty more for us to explore. Um, also did the, the Tundra Trail on top of, you know, the Trail Ridge Road, yeah, which was Coyote great. Yeah, Coyote Valley. Yes, that's what I was trying to think yeah. of, Coyote Valley. In the, in the west area. We had our, we had our um, at the time, 14-month-old son. So we were, and we were not wanting to get out of the car too much with covid so we, um, we stuck to some really quick drives and quick hikes um, during this day in the park. But 
next time. <laughs> we have a lot of unfinished business, so let's get into some of those activities that we feel like all visitors should do. Yes, the must-sees. Um, first of all, hike. Uh, this, uh, this park, again, is pretty centered around hiking. There are easy walks to longer hikes that require professional equipment. Of course, there's plenty of mountaineering you can do. But the most popular ones would be the trail uh, to Emerald Lake, also Sky Pond, Lock Lake, Chasm Lake, Dream Lake, Bear Lake Nature Trail, uh, which is accessible, and then also Twin Sisters Peak, which is, you know, you don't even have to go into the park to get to that trailhead. Um, And another really good uh, hike that we've heard is Hallett Peak, which is a 12,000-footer, and it's just uh, 4.4 miles one way. So really, you know, you have your pick of all different lakes, of all different mountains, so uh, no shortage. Yeah, the second thing we would recommend doing is for sure a scenic drive. So Rocky Mountain is beautiful even from your car. Um, We've talked a lot about Trail Ridge Road. That's a must-do if it's open. Um, And like Cole said, the other option, another great option for a scenic drive is that Old Fall River Road which is nine miles, is that correct? I think it's 11. 11 miles. 11 miles, it's only one way, and it's unpaved. Um, so you want to check the conditions before you go. If it's too wet or if it's if it's been storming or something, it might not work. But this road takes you up kind of the backside up to, like it's it, it runs almost parallel to Trail, trail Ridge Road. Uh, but it takes you on a different sort of switchbacky adventure up through the up through a, a slightly different valley. Yeah, and it's much more closed in. It's a smaller road. It's only one way, so it's a more intimate feel, which is really nice and less traveled. So then, wildlife, uh, another must see. You have almost seventy mammal species. 300 species of bird. Those include uh, huge elk populations, moose in the west. Uh, There are predators like lynx, fox, bobcat, cougar, black bear, coyotes. um, Coyotes. Coyotes, whatever. (laughs) That's okay. Just Um, threw me off. Yeah, those are pretty, uh, except for coyotes, uh, they're pretty rare, so you count yourself lucky if you see one of the mammal, the the predators, and uh, also they used to have uh, grizzly bears, but those went extinct in the area uh, a while ago, unfortunately. Yeah, and then also we would definitely recommend learning about the park a little bit. There are five park visitor centers. There's some great books you can read ahead of time. There are also, there's a plethora in non-COVID times, there's a plethora of ranger-led programs uh, for all ages, all abilities, all sorts of things going on that you can involve yourself in to to learn a little bit more about the area you're visiting. Yeah, so those are the general must-sees, the hike, the scenic drive, wildlife, learning, and then you can have plenty of options to personalize your wilderness adventure. You could go wilderness camping, fishing, horseback riding, you know, focus on photography, 
get some sunrises and sunsets maybe, and then winter sports. So tons of options besides what we've listed. Yeah, depending on what you're into, what you want to do, you can you can definitely do some unique things at the park. So now getting into some of your favorites, these are some things that you guys submitted to our Instagram account at Switchback Kids. So you can definitely do that for future parks. Um, so here we go. S- someone said hiking in Wild Basin, which we would agree with. Uh, somebody said driving up the nearby Mount Evans, which is the highest paved road in the country, uh, which had beautiful views. Snowshoeing from Milner Pass on the Continental Divide and hiking to the pool. Taking a group of Girl Scouts hiking and camping in the park, some for the very first time. Uh, Visiting the great gateway towns of Estes Park and Grand Lake. Mm -hmm. We would definitely second that. Uh, Just Trail Ridge Road in general is beautiful. Somebody said hiking to Emerald Lake and the lock. And then someone said also the insane wind up at Sky Pond. So all sorts of things that we're definitely going to be adding to our list as well. Yeah, and that leads us to the secrets of the park. And one of those we've already covered plenty, the Old Fall River Road. But again, it's something that not everybody uh, thinks about. So it would actually be a great thing if you're staying in the West as well because you could... Or, or just anywhere. Just take the Fall River Road up and the Trail Ridge Road down. Um, and then sunrise hikes. There's a really good recommendations for Deer Mountain uh, Hike, which is six miles, and Sprague Lake Hike, which is just a easy one-miler. Both of those give you gorgeous Uh, views of the Continental Divide, uh, especially Sprague Lake has the lake and then the mountains set behind it, uh, all lighting up with the early morning sun. So uh, those, you know, those just sound like amazing options. Um, And then in general, the west side of the park is much less traveled, so check out some things in the Kawanichi Valley, uh, especially try to hang around and linger there so you have a better chance of seeing moose uh, like we did when we were there. Uh, It was really lucky because we caught them just on our way out. We were looking like all day and finally as we were heading out, they were uh, browsing in the twilight. Yeah, and we would say the same about same, you know, staying off the beaten path for the southeastern corner of the park as well. So we have mentioned Wild Basin, which is really especially good for waterfall hikes. Um, and then there's a there's this hike called Estes Cone Hike, which is off of the Longs Peak Trailhead, and it's kind of a good alternative to that. It's a much shorter summit, much more doable hike, um, but we've heard really good things about that. Yeah, and it's still an 11,000-foot mountain, so you're not cheating yourself. <laughs> Definitely not. But if you're not quite up for Longs Peak, that's a good alternative. That's kind of in a quieter area of the park as well. And then the last secret, per se, is, the, uh, is a great short backpacking trip uh, from you know, combining North Inlet and Tonahutu Creek uh, Trail Loop. It's 25 miles total and gives you, you know, some great elevation from 10,000 to 13,000 feet. Uh, yeah, I've heard it's one of the best high elevation hikes in the country. Wow. According to this guidebook we read, 
So definitely good for a shorter backpacking trip that can be done in two or three days. So, so that's some, that, those are some secrets of the park. Now we'll get into some less of secrets, but more obvious things to do. Uh, but some things for families. So Rocky Mountain's great for all ages. There is a junior ranger program with booklets that are in, offered in English and in Spanish. Um, and they, they differentiate the age ranges of these booklets. So you can really gear it towards your own kids. There's one for five and under, which our son just, quote, did. <laughs> Meaning <laughs> yeah. we did it for him because he's, on, he's only one year old. Um, there's another booklet for ages six to eight and then another booklet for not ages nine and up. So really cool activities. And I thought they were really well done. And then there's an entire junior ranger headquarters in the hidden Valley area off trail Ridge road, which has a ton of other activities and ranger programs and things that kids can kind of get their hands on, uh, to learn more about the park. All right, that leads us to the big adventure. And you know, the first big adventure I'll mention is climbing the famous Long's Peak. It is the highest point in the park at 14,259 feet. It is the park's only 14er. And the, you know, from doing some research on this myself, uh, the best trail is the 12.7 mile lollipop loop, which ascends up Clark's Arrow, you know, to get to the peak, and then down the more popular and more traveled keyhole route. Um, the interesting part about this one is you got to start early. 3 a.m. Uh, you know is a typical starting time because you have to get down by the time the afternoon storms might roll in. Um, So this takes a lot of planning, not only just to get that start at 3 a.m., which you might want to stay at Long's Peak Campground to do. Uh, that's where the the trail ends starts from, so that'd be a really good, you know, easy way to get out early. But also just you know, do a lot of research on the park website. You know, they have a lot of uh, things to help you decide if, you know, you can, uh, you're, you're equipped for this uh, climb. It's not for first-time 14er climbers. It's not a hike, it says on its website. It's a climb you know, that crosses some big vertical rock faces, uh, sometimes has falling rocks, requires some scrambling, um, and you know, just narrow ledges, loose rocks, etc. So it really requires some experience, um, b- although not doesn't require technical equipment all the time uh there are definitely times that it does especially if you're attempting a summit in the winter this is you know uh, i personally would never think about doing that without an expert with me um summer hikes are hard enough um so yeah check that out um if if it piques your interest you can again experience like winter like weather and conditions at any time so things turn on a dime and just be prepared to turn back uh, during a sudden 
drastic weather change because that happens especially at 14,000 feet. Um, so yeah, just do your research uh, and it could be an amazing big adventure. Another big adventure could be the biking, the Trail Ridge Road. So if you go from Kawanichi to Beaver Meadows or vice versa, uh, visitor centers, that is 43 miles and about 4,200 feet in elevation gain. And the cool thing about this, like we've talked about with many parks, is that the road through the park opens up earlier to bikes than it does to uh, vehicles. And at Rocky Mountain, it actually opens up a lot earlier because it opens to bikes on April 1st. And if you remember, it doesn't open up to cars till probably Labor Day or Memorial Day weekend. And then it remains open to bikes, of course, you know, weather permitting to November 30th. Uh, whereas it closes to cars in October usually. So check that out, particularly in some of those shoulder uh, times. And then the final big adventure will wrap on. Yeah, and, lots of big adventures yeah, at Rocky Mountain. Another option is the Colorado Grand Loop, which is 40 miles starting, a 40-mile backpacking trip from Bear Lake Trailhead you know, along designated campsites, uh, you know, through plenty of wildflowers, of course, amazing mountains. You know, you'll see probably lots of elk along the way. So that is just another, uh, another longer hike that we have heard is spectacular. Anything to add there? No, it just it seems like one of those kind of bucket list, like all-encompassing, just just quintessential Colorado loop trails. Right. So that's big adventure. How about some Q and A's now? Yeah. So we got some Q and A's from you guys, as well as we pulled some from, from a website with frequently asked questions that we'll go through now. Um, so the first question someone asked was, what's your favorite waterfall in the park? And we don't have a ton of experience with this (laughs) because we've only hiked to two, waterfalls in the wild basin area three Three. well there was one at west portal area oh that's true okay so my favorite was the was calypso cascades the hike to calypso cascades uh which included how did we say that again ouzel yeah ouzel falls um and so it kind of encompassed both of those but i just remember it being so peaceful and we never really passed any other people and it was just very Colorado. We had mountain views. We had just beautiful forest hike. And so that was, that would be my favorite. Yeah. And then what else we have? So next question, what would be the recommended minimum time to spend in the park? What do you think? Yeah. Always important to try to figure out always different for different people. If it were me, minimum time I would want to spend in the park is probably three days. Um, you know, that's a good sweet spot to where you can have a day where you don't feel like you're rushed, uh, and just kind of relax, but you can also have enough time in the other days to really pack in some things, maybe a longer day hike that takes up one day. And then another day is, 
you know, doing the big scenic drive on Trail Ridge Road and uh, Old Fall River Road, and then you have another day of flex time to do other things you see along the way because you will find things that you want to do. So Yeah, you could easily spend a week or more just in the park. It can be a destination in itself, of course, as I'm sure you've gathered with everything we've talked about. Okay, next, last question. Where can I see wildlife? Yeah, the wildlife, of course, is throughout the park. You know, the, there's large elk populations, and I was, um, you know, surprised actually when we were going back down Trail Ridge Road for the second time in our last trip to see elk all the way up on the highest tundra points of the road. So I didn't think they would get all the way up there, but you can really see them throughout uh, the park at different elevations. Probably the best place, though, to see elk is in the West Horseshoe Park area. Um, And then, of course, moose. Lots of people love seeing and searching for moose and the best area for that is between the Kawanichi Visitor Center and you know, the Timber Creek area uh, because they love those lower-lying areas, the marshiness of the streams that go through there. So, yeah, the, those are the two biggest things that you might run into. What else What's would you more common, though? What are the funniest little things that you'll definitely see oh. along Trail Ridge Road? Yeah. The little yellow-bellied marmot, right. I think is what they're called. Right. And they are these little fat-looking, fat-rodent-looking animals, um, like a big fat squirrel, kind of. <laughs> that yeah, They look like a gopher, too. Yeah, I like a gopher, yeah. Um, that hang out in the, uh, especially along the tundra area, it seems like, up at the top of Trail Ridge Road. And if you pull over and park in one of the parking spots um, and kind of take in the views, you may just get lucky and see a marmot hanging out in your in the middle of your view like we did when uh, we last visited in September. Yeah, and I'd also quickly add uh, areas in the Beaver Meadow or Moraine Park uh, area. Um, Areas of the park are great for seeing or maybe spotting beaver, maybe some waterfowl, um, just more uh, low-key animals in that area too. So the last question will lead us into our very last section, actually, uh, because this question is, can are, are dogs allowed in the park? Yeah, that. So let's uh, get into our something to think about section because it's funny you bring up that question. Dogs in the park are something to think about because in Rocky Mountain they do not allow uh, pets on any of the trails, the tundra, or the meadows. You can only bring your pets, and probably most commonly, they're talking about dogs on a leash, of course, along established roads, parking areas, or in established campgrounds and picnic areas. Um, And yeah, that's been something that the national parks have been sticklers on in 
um, to many people's chagrin. That's why a lot of people go out to the national forests and do those trails instead because they can bring their dogs. Uh, we ourselves don't have a dog, so we have not had to wrestle with that problem. But I know, you know, lots of people are, are disappointed when maybe they have to leave their dog behind at, in their RV or something. Um, but there are good reasons for it. You know, it's easy for me to say there are good reasons when I don't have a dog that I want to bring with me. But, um, you know, the reasons from the website are that your dog or pet uh, could become prey for wildlife like coyote, mountain lions, bobcats, or even great horned owls. Uh, also, dogs are predators that can chase, scare, and transmit diseases. Um, also, they leave behind a predator scent, which disrupts, uh, lingers and disrupts native animals. And then dogs can bite humans, so that can also be an issue. Some people are uncomfortable around dogs. And um, then pets also can dig or trample fragile vegetation, you know, thinking especially of the tundra area where the plants all grow so slowly and are so fragile. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the reasons they list. And, you know, I know it's been something that we heard when we were going through the parks is, um, disappointing for some, but, uh, that they can't take them on these, these trails, but they're, um, you know, you got to, you're, you're in the national park and you got to play by their rules. So, um, that is our something to think about. Should they keep those rules? Should they not? I don't know. I'm glad it's not my call. (laughs) Same. So that's our thing to think about. And thank you guys so much for joining us as we revisited the U.S.'s ninth national park, Rocky Mountain. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear from you on our website, switchbackkids.com, or on our social media at switchbackkids. Yeah, tell us what you liked and what you want to hear more of. Send us your questions for future parks. And next week, we will be heading far, far away across the Pacific Ocean to an explosive national park that should be on everyone's bucket list, Hawaii Volcanoes. Until then... Switchbacks out. out.